Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. All right. Well, we're here again, my friend, and we're going to talk about something that I know you hold near and dear to your heart, which is questions. When we first met, very, very vividly remember asking you a bunch of questions. And one of the things that happened very soon after that first meeting was I invited you on to my podcast. And I challenged you because you talk about these questions you should be asking yourself every single day. And we went through, I don't even know how many, but I think I exhausted you because you're somebody that is a big believer in in the power of questions and how they can help in so many ways. So I want to pull up our sleeves and, and go to work on this idea of the power of questions. Why are questions so darn important, my friend? You know, it's fun. I was pulling up my sleeves, and then I realized it's actually very cold in Montreal. So I kind of put the sleeves back. <laughs> As, but yeah, absolutely, man. The reason why questions are so important is a quote by Tony Robbins that I didn't give a good credit to when we first appeared the podcast because I didn't even know Tony Robbins invented the quote. And the quote is, the quality of the questions, or rather the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. I add to that quote that you dare to ask yourself. Questions allow us to question conventional wisdom, to ask ourselves what we care about, to dive a little deeper inside who we are, and more importantly, how we want to live in the short time period that we're all in this beautiful planet called Earth. So that's why questions help us with clear insights. And it also helps us understand what we value and what we don't. Or also, or another way, what we prioritize more than others. So I'll give you a quick example on this. A lot of people my age prioritize freedom. They're like, I want to leave my parents' house. I want to go into my own apartment and like have a, like a car and like run around. Whereas me, I was like, no, nah, I'd rather live with my mom. Like, that's nice. Like that's So because I asked those questions... I didn't just take the truth of society as it was. I was able to kind of adapt what I wanted to do with my life. So questions are a gateway to the truth. Mm, Love that, man. There's a quote right there for you. Questions are the gateway for the truth. 
And I especially love that we're talking about asking ourselves questions, but there's really two big parts here. It's asking ourselves questions, but then being okay to question everything, right? Question the world around us. So how should we be, for the purposes of this discussion, how should we be breaking down or thinking about the art of asking questions, both in the realm of asking ourselves questions, but questioning the things around us, questioning life, questioning what other people are doing and why they're doing it and all the other things that go into this idea of, we know we need to ask questions. How do we think about categorizing or compartmentalizing the types of questions? Fascinating way of starting that. So the way that I would think about this, below, I would say the easiest thing is to ask yourself more questions on the things you're already more curious about or naturally more curious about. I'll give you an example between the two of us. You're a lot more interested in podcasting, what the gear looks like, what the equipment looks like, why it's that way, why is the setup that way. I'm a bit more curious about public speaking. Why is communication taught that way? These are very weird things. And oftentimes, the questions that you are the most fascinated by that nobody else cares about are the ones you should start with. Let me repeat that one again because I really wanted to lead. The questions that you are personally fascinated by that pretty much nobody cares about around you are generally the questions that you should explore the most. Let me give you an example of a question I asked myself. Uh, Why is communication training so negative? Right or fear-based, or stress-based, or that it's actually a medical disease and all that stuff. This is a question that not many people think about, not many people really care about <laughs> in, the, in the slightest. And you know, somebody else might be thinking, why do giraffes have such tall necks? <laughs> nope. You know, it's funny, but it's actually true. Right? What's that woman's name who like studies gorillas? I think it's her name's Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall. Yeah. Right? I really don't care. I couldn't care less about gorillas. But this Jane lady really cares about gorillas. Totally fine, by the way. No judgment. I just find it funny. What you got against gorillas, man? Gorillas yeah, are awesome. I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm a gorilla <laughs> hater. I, I'm literally getting canceled episode, whatever this is. But but the point about whether it's Jane, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's anybody, is generally the question we want to start with, Billy, are the ones we're actually already curious to think through. But the difference I would add is try and find people around you who are interested in trying to answer the question with you. Right, So let's say we take me as an example, communication. What's fun about our relationship, our relationship actually was built on communication. When I started talking about what I was doing at Mass Talk, you're immediately going, oh, that's a question. That's an insight I'm actually interested in too. And then you start talking about Berkeley and everything that you're doing with the classes. So finding people who are also excited about the same question is also fun because it creates an accountability system around practicing questions. So I'll give you a fun analogy to think through is if you go to a gym alone, it's hard to stay accountable. But if you go to a yoga class in the morning and you're friends with everyone in the yoga class or any other class, like a HIIT workout or something, you feel more pressure to actually show up every day. Same thing with questions. This, in, in many ways, this very episode we're having right now is actually an accountability system for me because every week or every twice a week or three times a week, you might go, hey, you want to do a live? And you ask me very difficult questions. But what I'm encouraging people to think about, Billy, is you need that in your own life, not just with going to the gym, staying healthy, eating the right things, but also reflecting on how you want to live your life. Also, 
cultivating independent thought, also exchanging uh, ideas on things we didn't think about. Yeah, I think it's really smart. You got to have a question accountability partner. It's like, why do people have trainers for the gym? Because they know the trainer will hold them accountable. And whether that is somebody that you hire that is like an actual personal fitness trainer, or you could have somebody else that you partner with and go to the gym with. And I also love the point about what are you hyper curious about? What are those things that you are so deeply fascinated by that you literally dream about these things? You can't stop thinking about them. So knowing that, knowing that you should be hyper curious about something and a best practice is find other people who are hyper curious about similar things. They're just curious about so many things and maybe they need to refine and start to identify the things that they should be focused on question-wise. If they're just an inquisitive person by nature and they're just curious about a lot of things, how does one narrow their focus or really start to define what questions they should focus on, do you think? This is a fun one. And as you were say, talking, Billy, I, I had this other thought. So instead of trainers, let's call them questioners. You need like questioners in your life. So so let's call that that. It's a fun term I just invented right down the spot. But the other piece that I find fascinating what you asked me is the idea of how do you narrow your focus? And you would think that would be a question I would want because you'd be like, you know, Brendan's all about focus. He's all about doing one thing. But I actually have the opposite point of view when it comes to questions. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I did the sound effects since we don't have that right. Soon, you know, as the production increases and we get like Jennifer Lopez on this thing that we'll be able to <laughs> get some sound, some sound guy or something. But for now, I'll just do the sound effects. So the reason I actually have a counter on narrowing your focus, I think you should widen your focus. I actually let my mind wander quite more than you would actually think, Billy, mostly in the morning. So let's say I'm listening to a podcast, namely Lewis's. Lewis House, for those who don't know, who haven't been listening to the pod that much, Lewis has a podcast called School of Greatness. I've listened to it for five, six years. It changed my life. Okay, back to the pod. So I listen to that probably the first two hours of every day, one hour every day. But I really let my not mind wander. I don't go, what should I be focused on in this episode? What question should I be asking myself? No, I kind of just go, okay, like I'm listening to this. And then I have a thought and I'm like, oh. Why are they talking about this? And I kind of think through that question. So I would say don't worry too much about what question it is. As long as you're intellectually curious about it, I think is the priority. But to still provide some structure to to what you're asking, because I think that's important too, by the way, not to neglect what you said, because I think it's very important. I think the easiest way is to start with a simple set of questions that I think are relevant for all human beings. But then naturally, as you get better with questioning or with your fellow questioners of having fun like creating all these terms, then I would encourage you to to dive more into your own thought process. And I'll be honest, I actually did that myself. So my questioning journey, I guess officially started on Lewis's podcast when he asked the three truths, right? But to to not make this too complicated because three truths is fairly long, I'll just give you a simple question that is hard to answer, but will help navigate this episode which is, if I gave you a billion dollars, what would you do with your time? Okay, if I gave you all, everyone is listening, and don't worry, I'm not Oprah, you're not going to get a billion dollars, let's it hypothetically. Let's say you received a billion dollars, okay, tomorrow. There's no catch, you just have a billion dollars in your bank account. Now that you have a billion dollars, what would you do with your time? And what's fascinating about this question, Billy, not many people think about it or know about it. And the reason is because 
they have the billion, they, they might just go, oh, I would go back to work. It's like, are you really sure? You have a billion. You don't have to work anymore. Would you still do the same thing over and over again? And then they might say travel. I go, okay, but for how long? Are you going to travel every single day? Are you going to travel three times a week? How do you structure the rest of your life? So that's a question that can get people started. Mm, I want to talk about more of those questions. Before we do, I think it's important to not leave this idea of, of structure and curious what your thoughts are about where we put these questions as we create them, as we come up with them, because I think it's a, it's a great point that in, in this case, you're suggesting don't narrow, but actually give yourself the freedom to explore that curiosity. I think the reason why that's important is not because you should spend every minute of every day asking questions. Maybe you should, but I think it's important to say that because most people push down their questions and they don't listen to that inner voice that's asking these questions. They, they subdue their question muscle. They don't flex it, right? They don't flex the question muscle as much as they should. And so I think what you're advocating for, going back to this analogy, is no, you got to work out. You got to work out that muscle and you got to make sure that you're continuously asking questions. But with that truth being the case, what should somebody do to, I guess, give themselves some kind of framework to either have their questions somewhere or, or some place where they could keep their questions. Mm, great, great follow-up. And I know you never, you're like, what's he typing? What's he doing there? And I never do this, but the reason I did is because you said something that that was really good. So I needed the exact quote so I can bring it into the show. And there's a quote by the movie Yes Man. So Yes Man is one of the few movies, one of the three movies I've seen in my life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Billy just knows that I don't watch that many movies. And here's the quote. Okay, the quote is this. The world's a playground. You know that when you were a kid, but somewhere along the way, everyone forgets it. Mm. So let me repeat that again. The world's a playground. You know that when you're a kid, but somewhere along the way, everyone forgets it. What that movie argues is that as kids, and I agree with this, we have a bunch of curiosity. I actually can say that with authority because I coach a lot of kids, and I'm sure you could say the same thing because you got yourself a nine-year-old, right? Ten? Just turned 10. Just turned 10. There you go. Right? Amazing 10-year-old. So what, what kids do is they're super curious. They're always asking, dad, dad, dad. Or in my case, uh, Brendan uncle or whatever. They call me uncle. It's so weird. Right? They're like, uh, I just tell them to call me Brendan. I was like, Eros, get out of the class. But anyway, so they go, Brendan, Brendan. Like, uh, ask me a question. They give me this question, this question, this question, this question. But you don't hear that that much when you get older. You don't hear that that as much with, with like 40-year-olds or 30-year-olds. I think we're the only kiddos on the block who are still going at this. But but most people, they stop asking the question because they feel they have all the answers they need. And that's dangerous, my friends. That's dangerous because you truly never have the answers you need. And the reason is simply because of this. The world is constantly changing. Everything's evolving. And there's always something that we don't know. There's always something we need to push. So I think the key is not really a tactic or, I mean, there's some tactics, but not really something uh, aha. I think the biggest aha that we can share in this episode is fall back in love with your curiosity. Mm -hmm. Fall back in love with your curiosity. I'm glad you framed it in that way because I think as human beings, we typically lose that childlike mindset, that inquisitive mindset, which, you know, Jeff Harry, who was somebody that I had an opportunity to meet because of my podcast and he focuses on play and really channeling that, that child like mindset. And I think one of the things that children do just naturally is they question everything. 
because everything's new. Everything's something that they don't know yet. And so they're asking questions, especially kids, the kids that are really precocious, the ones that are like, you, you notice their curiosity and they're also very bright because they're not afraid to ask questions. To your point, I think what we need to do as adults is we need to force ourselves to be more curious. Why do you think we naturally maybe avoid or, or don't flex our curiosity muscle as much as we should? Yeah, man. I think for me, there's a couple of, it's a fascinating question. There's so many angles in my head that I can go in, but I'll say the one that sticks out to me the most is from Seth Godin in his book, Lynchpin. For those who haven't read Lynchpin, I highly recommend it, or at least check out a talk on YouTube for 45 minutes. And what the book essentially argues, Billy, and everyone's listening, is Lynchpin talks about how the people who stand out in today's world are individuals who are able to carve their own path, their own unique skill set, their own unique set of talents to build something really amazing. And so that they become so valuable in an organization or as an entrepreneur or a thought leader that they become irreplaceable. So let's say we take somebody like Joe Rogan or Seth Godin. It's really hard to replace that person with somebody else because that person is such a unique thinker, unique way. They have a unique way of seeing the world. But what he also argues in Lynchpin, which I completely agree with, is the education system is designed to get human beings to comply, not to question. And the education system was originally designed for factory workers. They needed people to work in factories. So they designed this education system to help people learn the basics, to then work at this factory. And then when they retired, they get a massive pension. But that deal was really good until maybe 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Now the jig is up. Those pensions are gone and we need to start upskilling ourselves. But the education system did not adapt to that. So today, a lot of the, our kids, a lot of our generation, when they're going through the education system like I did, I was never taught to question. I was just taught to go to an exam, memorize everything, get passing marks. And if I don't, then I lose the game of education. But true education, as we now know now, the both of us anyways, and a lot of people like us, is that true education comes from self-discovery, from self-reflection from understanding or rather answering the core questions of our own life. Who do we want to be? Why do we want to approach that way? But that's way harder to evaluate on a test. That's way harder to grade in a standard education system. So that's why I think we lose that along the way. But we don't have that at a young age because we still hadn't gone through the education system. We're not taught to comply just yet. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think part of that's rooted in this idea that employers and you've just illustrated a great a great case study. Employers, they want people to fall in line. They want people to do their job and not question. They want people to accept that you do this and this is what it is. Like, you don't need to be a hero. You don't need to question why this lever does what it does. Like, you, you should just do what is asked of you. And so here we are today in a very different era, different time. But yeah, I think the truth remains that a lot of times people are more, I would say, allergic to, to people who are pushing the envelope or maybe going too deep into the question asking mode, especially when it's not just an internal question, right? Like, of course, we could always ask ourselves these questions. Like, we'll get more into that in a minute. But I, I think more in the workplace or more just generally, the art of asking questions and the art of asking questions in a way that doesn't seem confrontational is really important. So what are your thoughts there? Because I think it's an important thing that we draw the line or at least 
give some framework that will allow people to feel comfortable enough to ask questions while also recognizing that there is a, a nuance and a grace to asking questions in a way that won't compromise your intention and will allow those around you, whether they're your boss or your peers or whoever, to not feel like you're interrogating them, but that it's coming from a good place. Fascinating angle that you took there, Billy. So here's my, my take on this. I think it's much more fun to think about the context of asking questions outside of corporate. Because you're right, in corporate or in, in that type of working environment, you have to play politics a lot. And many times you're actually rewarded not to ask any questions at all. Not every company is like that. I don't want to generalize. But I think the most important person you got to ask questions to is really yourself. That's really where I would start. And then after we ask, because I know earlier you're asking about an order. So here's what I think the order is. I think it starts with ourselves. Then it starts with other people like ourselves. Hmm. Other people like ourselves. So that's not necessarily our work colleagues, right? That's, you know, like us, right? People who get intro to each other, like just friends. And then the third part is asking questions in a way that would benefit us and other areas outside of those two. So that may, might be at work where we start to filter down a lot of the questions that we would ask ourselves, but we wouldn't really say in a corporate setting. So I would say to figure out, really read the room in those types of situations, and then go, okay, this is the type of question I can ask, this is the type I can't ask, and also ask yourself what types of leaders you're working with as well. Yeah, I mean, you got to read the room, that's true, and I think there's a certain amount of emotional intelligence that comes into play. You need to know who you're speaking to, and there is a way to frame questions so that people know that your intention is it's coming from a good place. You're right. It is more fun to talk about asking questions outside of the corporate space. But the reality is there's so many people who are in the corporate space. And, and to be honest, I think people who are daring enough to ask questions in corporate get noticed. And yeah, it can, it can hurt you. I'm not going to lie. It can hurt you, but it also could help you. It could put you on a map when you ask a question or not afraid to ask a question that maybe other people are, are afraid to ask. And so I think your, your point about reading the room is a really good one. And I think ultimately it's a lot of what comes down to timing. You got to ask the question at the right time with the right audience. Group dynamics matter. So an example would be if you were to ask a question that is going to instill doubt in a room full of 10 other people, it's probably not the right time to ask that question. On the other hand, if you legitimately feel like you can help whatever it is you're working on by asking a question and you do that in private with who you report to or somebody else who you think could make a, an actual decision on the question you're asking. So it's not just gossip and it's not just harmful chitter chatter, but it's actually trying to do something meaningful. Then yeah, you can ask that question at the right time. So let's go into this realm of the questions themselves. You mentioned the question asking yourself, and this is a really big one. If money weren't an issue, whether that be a billion dollars and Oprah's like, you get a billion, you get a billion, you get a billion, whether it's that, or it's just that you have enough money in your bank to where the job you have is irrelevant. It does not matter. That's $100 million, $5 million, whatever that number is, okay? $10 million. And your job no longer is the primary means to allow you to, to have the things you need in life. 
what would you then do? So that's a great question. What are some other questions that you, Brendan, think are some of the, the core questions that everyone should be asking themselves? Get ready, man, because I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on this. So let's see how many you can how many Brendan questions we could get. But this time I'm allowed to cheat because the first time I appear on your podcast, <laughs> you could have cheated then. <laughs> you were nervous. Yeah, I understand. I really wanted to knock it out. So I was like focused. But now since we're more informal now, now we're chilling. So now I can totally cheat. But yeah, but the other piece I wanted to add for corporate really quick is for questions, start by practicing questions that are more on the positive rather than the negative. That's what I mean by that. Try not to ask questions that contradict the norm in the room. Not yet. Build your way up to that level after you've properly read the room. But I'd say the questions you want to start with are often questions that people don't get asked. I'll give you an example. So when I started working at IBM a few years ago, and I obviously don't work there anymore, but when I started working there, I really wanted to be a senior executive at the time. So one of the things that I asked myself is what are the types of questions that only a senior level executive would be able to answer? So I, I called up one of the senior executives. I had a coffee with him. These are fun to practice questions during coffee chats. And while other 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 university grads were going, oh, like, what's the day in the life of uh, your job? And I was like, oh, brother, here we go. <laughs> but, like, it was just like, like, what's your favorite part about your job? Like, it's very simple level questions, right? But the question I asked that senior leader, and that's to your point, that's how I stood out immediately, was what is the best piece of advice that you have for somebody else who's also a senior leader? Like, so what's the best piece of advice that you've ever given someone at the same level as you? And then he went, so you can't say don't give up because that's advice that you could hear from like anybody. But what about if another executive comes up to you for advice, what do you tell them? And he said something really interesting. He said, always understand that you're always replaceable. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, the biggest mistake people make at the executive level, Brendan, is they don't understand that for them to move up, for them to be successful, they need to be replaceable. In other words, they need to train their successor. You can't run this business forever as an executive. You have to train the person next to you. In the same way, Jeff Bezos trained Andy Jassy to take over Amazon, right? So there's always a successor, even if you're the founder. And I thought that was super interesting. But he was immediately impressed by me. He was like, isn't this kid, like, didn't he just start at IBM like last month? He's like, oh, this guy is. It's amazing how much questions can impress people. Just thinking of Jen and Jen Rose. Jen, if you're watching or if you watch the replay or listen, you impress people because of your ability to ask great questions. Same thing happens in corporate, but finish your thought. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and on that note, you know, it's start thinking about questions that will make them feel that you're more senior than you already are. So obviously, I'm, I'm always, obviously a kid when I, I was the youngest consultant they hired. And that batch, I think I was like 22 or something. Most people have master's degrees or PhDs when they start working at, as a consultant there. So I guess I lucked out. But anyways, the point is, but when I was entering conversation with senior leaders, I sounded like a senior leader. So I wasn't like, yo, what's up, like my man? I was like, so great to see you, Billy. Really appreciate the time that you took to, to meet me. This is my professional voice. I hope you like it. You know, it's like, a, I, I hope you're doing well, Billy. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Thank you so much for taking 30 minutes out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. That's my, my branded voice. But anyways, so, and then you prepare for that meeting beforehand where every single question is a banger. Like, it's not like, so like, what do you do? <laughs> None of that nonsense. So 
think about it and then ask those questions. And that's the easiest way to stand out. Getting coffees with people three levels, four levels above you and asking them questions that they can only answer. You're not going to be able to ask unlimited questions. So make the questions you ask count and give yourself the ability to think carefully about which questions are going to get the information or the answers that you want. Because I think they have to be genuine questions. But the other part of it is the questions themselves will help to shine a spotlight on your way of thinking. It helps to identify your thought process and what you are most fascinated about. I don't want to forget this idea here of getting as many of the, the, the Brendan questions on the table as possible. So you get your pad of paper out, get your pen, and Brendan's going to lay down some questions for you guys. So go ahead, BK. And the goal here is really everyone is you want to ask yourself one of these questions every day. Like, don't get stressed out about trying to answer 10 of them or 15 of them like Crazy Brendan or even Crazy Billy. I'm sure you ask yourself a bunch of questions every day too. But yeah, I, especially since you hang around me all the time. But I think the key is definitely just one at a time. So even if I'm going to give a lot of questions here, I highly recommend you just only ask one. So a couple questions here. Just so people know this, by the way, I know only, I know Billy knows this, but for everyone else, I literally have hundreds of questions. Okay, so don't get intimidated by this. I won't say all of them. I'll say like five or ten that I think are really good. One simple one somebody asked me the other day, actually, is in 20 years, what does your life look like? I didn't have a good answer to that one. I kind of thought about it and I was like, hmm. Yeah, you're a 10-year guy. Yeah, I'm a 10-year guy. You're right. I am a 10-year guy. Dude, you got to expand that, man. And you're young too. So I'm going to push the, what, what does your life look like in, in 30 years, 40 years? Yeah, there you go. Boom. I just got a. <laughs> okay. So there you go. There's two more questions. Okay. Give us another one. Let's rattle through as many as we can. Yeah. Don't force me to answer all of these. Jeez. Here's a good one I got from Yes Theory. So I always like to give quotes whenever I can. And the question is, if you were 99 years old and on your deathbed and you had a chance to come back today, what would you do right now? Okay, let me repeat that again. If you were 99 years old on your deathbed and you had a chance to come back to today, right now in this moment, what would you do right now, this second? And I thought it was so crazy because it was nuts, man. Mm, right now, this second. That's an interesting part of it. Too. Yeah, because it was funny when I asked myself that question, my immediate reaction was quit my job, quit my job. Even if I loved it, even if it was a fun place to work, I was like, yeah, quit my job. It's <laughs> a good so, one. Okay, give us another one. Uh, oh, sorry. I shouldn't be answering these questions. Trying to find one that's more practical. Some of these are esoteric. Yeah. Give us an esoteric one. Come on. Give us an esoteric okay, one. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Some of them are really bizarre, okay, that I don't even ask myself that much. Like, if you were God, what would you do first? Uh, where, do you hide, where do you hide your brilliance? Are you willing to surrender to a game that everyone else is playing? What do you think is really absurd? Hey, I have a question real quick. When you ask yourself these questions... How do you answer them? Do you literally, I mean, are you talking to yourself? Do you write in a journal? Do you think about it? Typically, when you ask yourself this question, is it more of a reflection exercise? What do you, Brendan, do to answer these questions? I wish I had a clean process to teach, but honestly, Billy, literally what I do is I just think about that in my head. And from time to time, not even every, whenever I feel like energetically, I like the answer that I'm putting out. I write it down somewhere. So most of the time it's thinking about it. And then some of the times you're writing it out. Got it. Okay. Continue on the list, man. Correct. Like I, I give you a quick example of that actually. So, so Lewis house is a great exit. This is one of the first like personal development questions I've ever asked myself in my life, which is simply what does your perfect day look like? So how Lewis teaches it, which I love is he forces you to write it all out in excruciating detail and guilty as charge. I've actually never done that. 
but I've thought about the perfect day multiple times. Okay, where does it start? Where are my wife and kids? Where am I in the house? What am I eating? How does my day end? So I've thought about all of those moments, but I've never actually written it down. But I think the key is, once again, this is the one episode I'm a bit less of a hard ass. I'm a lot more open because for those who don't know, I mean, obviously you wouldn't know. So in my, me and Billy's private calls, like just me and him uh, off the pod, right off the public eye, I'm always saying, focus, focus. You got to focus on your thing. You got to focus. So that's why Billy's laughing. Whereas here, I've actually have a very different approach. I'm actually, you know, very actually I have a lot of lack of focus in this area. And I don't think you should be focused here. It's really just about thinking 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 and then you get an insight and you're like blam and then you but then when you have the insight you go bam then you write it down somewhere like for example i was three years into lewis's podcast i was probably 22 or 23 at the time and that's when i found the quote be insane or be the same i was like holy oh my god that rhymes and and then the other day like a year after that i found uh, never say wow always ask count i was like oh my god that like rhymes too. And then I, I wrote that down. So, so sometimes you just get these cool insights. There is Brendanisms. There is trademark. There is quotes. There, you know, these are things that he has thought about and then created a statement that's memorable and easy to share and easy to, to remind himself, but then also share it with other people to remind them. So I think it's great. It's, it's thought leadership in the making. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I just to push on this a bit more, even if you're someone who's listening to this who doesn't care about being a thought leader. So obviously in me and Billy's case, that's something we're focused on. But if you're someone who's just like, I don't want to be a thought leader, how is this relevant to me? I would argue it's relevant to all of us. It's just the application is going to be different. So let's go back to the first question we talked about today, which is if you had a billion dollars, what would you do with your time? You know, one of the most common answers that I get that is just as effective as, you know, Brendan quitting and doing some master talk stuff with public speaking is, oh, if I had a billion dollars, I'd totally spend more time with my family. Let's say I would ask that question to a client. They would say, you know, I'd spend more time with my family. I would say, how many more hours? They go, you know, like 10, 15 more hours because they'd still want to work, do something. I was like, why don't you do that today? Like what's stopping us from restructuring your schedule, restructuring your profession, a way that you can spend that time today? You don't need to wait for a billion dollars to do that. I was telling someone this morning, one of my accountability buddies, I don't tell you that stuff because it's too much of a flex. I'm in a pretty cool mastermind and the guy I'm speaking to is crushing it. He has like 50 locations, physiotherapy across the US. And this guy's like killing it financially. He doesn't need any more money. And one of his goals was to buy a beach house. I said, hey, I asked him that question. Let's call him Paul. Let's say, Paul, what are your goals? Let's say you were a billionaire. I, gave, I asked him the same question this morning. I said, if I gave you a billion dollars, what would you do with your time? He's like, I would buy a beach house for my kids. I'm like, brother, you could buy a beach house in cash right now with the capital you have. What are you waiting for? And he was like, oh my God, I got to go buy a beach house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, for all of us, these questions are relevant. Whether you're someone who's you know wealthy in Paul's case, let's just call them Paul, or if you're just somebody who you're just getting started, that also applies to you because then you know what to do when you start making enough money where you're happy with, whether it's a hundred thousand dollars a year or ten million. Yeah, and and sometimes we just we need that reminder. Like we we may we may know deep down that we should do X, Y, or Z, but. We are running on the treadmill of life. We're in triage mode. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're actively in the midst of everything that is life. And we don't hit the pause button to reflect and to think and to actually like take the time. And that's part of it is like actually taking the time 
to ask yourself these questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm happy to give more questions, Billy. But one other thing that that's actually very good timing for today's episode is this morning. Well, yesterday I was talking to a, a guy named Mustafa, a really cool, awesome guy. And he recommended a book that, of course, I'll never read because I don't read books. And I told them called Essentialism by Craig McEwen. But I did tell Mustafa, I was like, you know what? I'll listen to a talks at Google. This is what I do when I like when people give me book recommendations. I just watched the 45-minute talk. And it's actually on this point right here. So let me give you a quote that I got this morning that was so good. And, and the quote says this, we need to design our lives deliberately or they will end up being designed for us by people who aren't as invested in us in achieving the essential mission of our lives. So we need to design our lives deliberately or they will end up being designed for us by people who are not as invested in us in achieving the essential mission of our lives. And what Craig is really trying to put here is another quote that he says later, which summarizes that idea. If you do not prioritize your life, someone else will. If you do not prioritize your life, you will be the subset of somebody else's agenda, right? So what questions allow us to do, Billy, is that allows us to figure out what actually matters to us and to organize our life, organize our time in a way that satisfies the goals that we have in life. So we die with no regrets. And I, I feel Craig ties that in really nicely for us in this episode. You could not be more clear than what you've just said. So if you're listening or, or if you happen to be watching a replay of this, rewind and listen to what Brendan just said, because I love the way you said that it helps to organize our lives and to really understand what's important to us, right? Understand what's important to us so that we could then organize our lives and, and really prioritize. And, and figure out what matters most. Once we know what matters most, we can then start to chart a course, map out what we want to do in no uncertain terms. It doesn't mean we can't change, we can't pivot, but like we change and pivot because we keep asking questions. And as we ask questions, we then know, you know what, maybe what I thought I really wanted isn't what I really wanted. And now I got to change. But that won't happen unless you continuously ask these questions. So I think fundamentally, you've so beautifully illustrated why the power of questions is so vital, so vital to us figuring out how we make the most of the finite number of days that we have. We only have so many minutes, so many hours, so many days, so many weeks, so many months, so many years. And whatever that number is, we all have one number for each of those units of measurement of time. And the way in which we spend those minutes is determined by us. But if we don't allow ourselves to formulate and really think through what's important, we may go through life letting it happen to us or worse yet, other people deciding how we should live our life. Because one of the things that you and I talked about before this call even started was five regrets of the dying, right? Which one of the regrets is this idea of you live your life and ultimately you realize that you spent your time in, in the wrong area doing the wrong thing. I know you may not know all of them right now off the top of your head, but do you have them handy? Because I think this would be a good thing to, to end on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, brother. And the only thing I didn't say perfectly is Greg's last name. So the author of Essentialism, 
on behalf of the podcast, we apologize for not pronouncing your last name correctly. We need fact. We need fact checkers. Yes, but Craig, you are the man. So we'll just call him Craig. But it's going back to Bronny Ware here. I'm going to go ahead and and for those who don't know what the five regrets of the dying are for the audience, uh, Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse, or at least used to be. And what she did was, as a nurse, she watched a lot of people pass right in their final moments. She had a lot of discussions with them. It's actually very moving. Highly recommend you all watch the episode she did with Lewis Houses. Really powerful. She talked about people, you know, regretting not talking to their sister, things like that. It's really fascinating. Anyways, and she compiled it all those top five regrets in a book. There's five here. I'll say all five, but I'll emphasize the first one. So number five is I wish I had let myself be happier. Because we are always so stressed about life. And if we just chilled, took a chill pill and relaxed, we'd probably be a bit more happier. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends is another one that's very common amongst us, where I, I wish I'd kept ties with people that I really loved. Number three is I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That means, you know, sharing what you care about. You know, Billy, I really love you. just want you to know you are the love. <laughs> I mean that, actually. You're pretty amazing. Anybody that knows us knows that, we, that we're, you know, that we love each other. It's, it's obvious. Even, it's, it's like obvious. it's like the best long distance relationship in the world. We're like... <laughs> Never met in never person, met. Ever. It's, it's like the ultimate best distance. It's like we're in love we've never ever. But we are going to see each other soon. It's not on the calendar yet, but it's on the mental calendar. We, we've we've talked about making it happen very soon. You're definitely coming to Arizona for a mastermind in April. That's that's definitely. I know. Yeah, I got it down on the calendar. Whenever that is. You gotta yeah, we have to, we'll, we'll figure out the dates like a month and a half or so. But yeah. So number two is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Which is something a Brendan won't regret, but most people do. Yeah, absolutely. And then number one, I don't think Gary V will either. But number one is the one that you were actually touching base on that summarized what Craig was saying earlier from Essentialism. And the, and the quote is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Right, And that's the piece that Greg also talks about in his book, Essentialism. Beautifully said. Okay, so as we wind down, I want Brendan give us five more questions. I'm gonna, and we'll end with those five questions that you could then uh, take to your repository. If you all have, have don't yet have a place to store your questions, go ahead and store them somewhere where you can see them on a regular basis. As I'm thinking about this, I think a great idea is if you journal each day of your journal entry. Write down a question that you ask yourself and then you can write down your response. And if you don't have five good ones, we'll take three, but let's aim high. Let's go with five, five last questions and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. Thanks for joining everyone and, and glad you were part of this. Go ahead, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's definitely a bunch and I need to, this is good feedback for me. I'm pretty sure I had like another notepad on my phone that ranked kind of the most relevant questions. So I think what I'll end with, Billy, is the five questions that I feel are like the ones, like if I had to pick five out of my list that I feel every human being should answer, and some of them will be repeats, let's go into those five things. So the first one, so this is kind of like everyone's weekly homework for the three of you who are watching this pod, <laughs> is including us. So it's like me, you, and like Grace or something. And, and so the five questions are, number one, if I gave you a billion dollars, what would you do with your time? I think that's the most important question that we should literally have in the education system because it forces us to really think about what really matters at the end of the day, which is our time. There's a great quote by Sahil Bulani. He said that if you're young, you're a time billionaire. 
So time billionaires are people who are young because they have so much time, but they don't realize how wealthy they are until they get old and realize that they wasted their time. So that's number one. If you had a billion dollars, how would you spend your time? Question numero dos. Number two, Lewis House's perfect day. What would your perfect day look like? I feel spending the time doing that really helps because it really helps you understand how different people are. Like my perfect day is so different from Billy's. Like mine ends with a dance party. <laughs> I'm at Charity Waters Charity Gala. I'm like getting an award for being the number one donor. And I'm like dancing with my wife for like seven hours straight with, the, with glasses of water. Like that's, it's like different, right? So the, way, the question is map out your perfect day or what is your, define your perfect day? What, what's the exact question? Correct. What does your perfect day look like? Got it. Okay. Or what does the perfect day look like to you? Is it, or what are you having for breakfast? Just describe that. Ask yourself that question. I think it'll really help. Love that. Right. I would say question three is if someone was reading, I'm just rephrasing into a question rather than a statement. If somebody was reading your funeral speech, what would it say about you and how you lived your life? That's question number three, I would say. Those are probably three powerful ones, but I'll go with another two. What are the other two I could say? And you said that before, if like, if you could write your own eulogy or if you could write your own funeral speech, what would, what would be in it? That's a really fascinating one. I love that one. Yeah. And it's one I think a lot about, especially when I was younger, I thought a lot about it. I would say another question, which is more emotional and, and really drives a lot of my decisions is, is a question Seth Godin asked once, and I just listened to it and I was like, whoa. And the question is, would we miss you if you were gone? I think the question has so many more layers than one would think because it calls into question not just your accomplishments, but also your character. Like, would we miss you if you're gone? So if you just became a billionaire and you were gone, no one would really miss you, in my opinion. But if you had the right character, you helped people, you did the right things, a lot of people would miss you if you were gone. And Gary actually talks about this as well. He says, when I die, I want to have the biggest funeral of all time. And I thought that was really funny. Interesting. Question five is very, very difficult. It is the question I ponder so much. And I'll actually give a sixth bonus question because I think question four in many ways was a cop out. So I'll give an extra one. I'm literally judging myself. So my question five in the easy category would be, what are you, what are you pretending not to know? I think it was really good. I was at an emotional intelligence workshop and I was sitting there and there's a huge banner that said that question. And it really made me think, what am I pretending? What are you pretending not? Tell us why. The reason is because it helps you kind of think about what are you trying to hide from the world? So I'll give an example. I'm happy to answer the question because I've thought about it a lot. So the one thing I always pretended not to know, the reason that I became successful was because of my dad. So when we had our first podcast episode, I talked about how much, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, all that stuff. But the point I, I drive that in the way that I think about that question is I always pretended not to know that he was actually the reason I became successful. Because if he never came to Canada, if he never took that risk, there's no way I would have had the chance to do what I do today. If he had just literally made the decision to move to any other country besides Canada, Mastock wouldn't have existed because case competitions are only popular in Canada, literally. But I always pretended not to know that. I was like, no, no, no I'm going to beat this guy, but he was always on my team, right? So everyone's going to have a different answer, but that's mine. I, I just think it's a good thought process to have, and it really helps you a lot think through kind of the things that you're hiding. Like, I don't feel like I'm hiding anything anymore. Like, I'm feeling pretty open book. Look at me. 
Like I'm literally talking to you in my sweatpants and I'm chilling. <laughs> I, ch- I literally have my leg here on my chair, just chilling. And I do this on podcasts too that are actually that are serious as well. Maybe not on Glenn's. Maybe I'll take that one for serious. But anyways, and then the last one was just a bonus because I feel question four is a cop count, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call myself out on that one. Is a question from Peter Thiel, which is by far the hardest question on this list, and took me years to answer because when I first heard the question, I didn't even understand it. Which is what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? In other words, what's something that you think is true about the world that most people think is BS? That most people say, "Eh, I don't really agree with that." That's the hardest question on the list. I wouldn't start with that. You'll get a headache and stop doing these exercises. Start with question one, okay? Actually, I think question one for all of you should just be your perfect day. Just have fun imagining boats and shit, and then then increase the difficulty as we go on. And the last one's kind of interesting too, because it's kind of like a question I ask a lot of my guests, which is, "What's a commonly held belief?" that you passionately disagree with or commonly held belief in your industry or commonly held belief about this space that you strongly disagree with. So that's, that's another a version of that. Brendan, bring in the, the thunder and lightning today, the questions and all of the wisdom and all of the ideas. Thank you for sharing. For those who want some more of Brendan's genius, I did interview him way, way back when. So you could find one of the original conversations he and I had. I interviewed him on inside out. And I'll include the link. I'll put it in the comments in case you want to check that out. And he does talk a lot about questions in that episode. In fact, it's a two-parter. So I'll find, I'll share both links, but one of the episodes is, is a lot about this. So if you haven't yet subscribed to Master Talk on YouTube, please go check it out. That's Brendan's YouTube channel. If you want to effectively communicate and do all the things that will allow you to master the art of communication, of talking, of speaking, whether that be on stage or in a boardroom or in life in general, Brendan has all the answers and has a really great way of clearly breaking down concepts in a very simple and easy to apply way that everybody can use in their own lives. So check that out on YouTube. And then of course, if you want to hear more conversations or if you want to get conversations like this into your podcast, We do publish this on a weekly basis at insideoutshow.com. You can also find us on all the major podcast platforms. All right, you guys, take care, everyone. Thanks for joining. Until next time, please make it a great one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.